Hello and welcome to the It's Not Personal podcast, a podcast about making work more engaging, more fulfilling, and ultimately more human by taking the ego out of leadership. I am here with Ken Grady, a Fortune 500 CIO and business leader, as well as gentleman farmer and snappy dresser. And I'm here with Seth Rigoletti, my always friend and often collaborator and co-conspirator. Seth is an executive and communications coach who's worked with a number of different organizations and whose superpower is helping people understand the difference between what's being said and what's being heard. Hey, Seth, welcome back. Welcome back. Hey, Ben. Ken. Doing okay. How are you doing? Good boy. You know, I walked out of our last conversation talking about culture and change and how do you set a culture without, you know, both with saying you're going to set a culture, but also all the actions that you take as a lead. I just, I just walked out. I had so many thoughts. Like that was such a great conversation Mm, and it really made me think about, you know, we talk a lot about healthy culture. Do you have a healthy culture? What is our culture? Because uh, I, I think we even said in the conversation, every organization has a culture, whether you're talking about it right. or not. Right. And I touched on the fact that I wanted to talk about, because, you know, we talk about healthy cultures and cultures of collaboration and change resilience and, you know, innovation and, and, and experimentation, all those things. But I, I said that I, I wanted us to go into a not a different direction this time, but I wanted to talk about not a not a controversial topic, but something that seems maybe on the surface a little bit contradictory, which is about competition mm. and rivalry right. and healthy competition. Right. And how mm. does that actually drive the culture forward? Mm. You got both your internal healthy competition, your external healthy competition. But we we talked about you know, rivals, not enemies. Right. 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 And that's, to me, that was, I was just thinking about as we, we walked away from the last conversation about how easy it is for a culture, for an organization, for an intention to go from healthy to toxic. Like they're two sides of the same coin, they're connected, but two sides of the same coin. So, you know, I wanted to ask you and the organizations you work with, how do you help people because I think this is I've seen it manifest in a few different ways but the unhealthy rivalries Mm. or or cultures where and I think maybe you touched on it last time this this concept of like if if I know that I'm in competition with you but I trust you Mm. at the same time like that's healthy Mm. but if I know I'm in competition with you for resource for whatever but I don't trust you that's unhealthy Mm. like I how have you seen this show up in leaders and kind of how they they talk about you know yeah. ri- competition or rivals? I think that's uh, that's a big question. Let's let's back. Can I back away yeah, from yeah. that just a little bit? Because yeah, I'm going to hold get it in, to it, but we'll come I'll back get into at the it. details. Okay. But the the first thing I want to say is that like you you know you you were sort of touching on this idea of a healthy competition versus a toxic competition, and I think you know in my mind it always comes down to in my Am I clapping when you do something awesome? Mm. Like, if you do something, like you see this actually in sometimes in, in Olympics or or really highly competitive sports where someone will do something that's just so exceptional, and the 
and the opponent will just, you know, in tennis, sometimes you see it, the opponent will just give a, a little clap, you know, just be like, hey, yeah, that was good. And and that is, in my mind, like, where there's something really healthy happening there, right? There's something like, I want, I'm celebrating excellence mm. in that moment. And I'm willing to acknowledge, right? And And there's a security that the person who's, if I'm willing to say, uh, well, Ken, you did a nice job. You really like solved that problem. If I'm willing to say that, that means I'm like, I'm feeling a little bit secure, right? I'm, I'm feeling okay. Because I also was trying to beat you or I also was trying to solve that problem. And does that make sense? Is that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it, it goes back to one of our, you know, founding principles for it's not personal, which is if you can take your ego out of the moment yeah. and you can say like, you know, your victory even though, even though we're in direct competition, I mean that tennis example. Even though I'm not a sports ball person, as we've clearly established, I know, I know. but I did play tennis growing up. But in that moment, like we're both competing for the win yeah. against one another. But wow, that was awesome! And I just have to like yeah. set my ego aside for a minute and recognize that was great. Good job. Right. So in the in, you know, there's two things that are happening. Like one is what's happening with the person who is able to to say good job who's able to see the excellence for what mm-hmm. it is, right? What's happening for them and what's happening for the person who can't. And then what's happening in the culture of those businesses, you 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 asked me about where there might be some toxicity or there might be some like um, unhealthy competition. And I think that they're connected. Mm. I think, um, you know, if you think about the bitterness, you think about the, uh, what is it, the like, an inability of someone to be able to celebrate or acknowledge when someone else does a good gets a win, right? Like, what is that bitterness? Where does that come from? Yeah, I think there comes from, and I've certainly seen that in the business context, but I've seen it outside as well. But it comes from, I, I think it comes from a place of insecurity. I think it comes from, right, 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 is the, the, or the, Oh, what's it called? I know there's a growth mindset. What's the opposite of a growth mindset? Is there? There's a word for that. I don't know. A zero-sum mindset. Yeah. Where if, I think I see, you know, somebody will correct me, but I think the idea that your victory has to come at a cost to mine. All right. Yeah. Or or the idea that if you win, I lose. Yeah. Right. right. That's that zero-sum, like every gain you make, like yeah. if you get promoted, somehow that's yeah. like something about, that's something negative about me. Yeah. Right? And there, there, I've certainly seen this within the business context, within the C-suite, within the executive teams, within, you know, cross-functional, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. if I am not successful, if you're successful at getting investment in your organization and your function and your priority, that takes away from the opportunity for me to be successful. Yeah, and I think the organizations where that mindset is is uh, pervasive, or organizations where rivalry becomes non-healthy. Right. So sometimes you ask me about the businesses that I've noticed. That yeah. I've talked to. Like sometimes I notice there's a direct connection into what the organization incentivizes. So sometimes they're like, here's a hundred dollars, right? Like there's a hundred dollars. I'm going to give it to whoever does the best thing. Now, sometimes that works really well in sales, right? Because people get really, they're competitive. They're really motivated. But 
if you're trying if you're trying to foster collaboration across groups, that doesn't work. Oh boy, that's so good. So this this gets me to, and I think maybe maybe we touched on this in season one, but you know, I think you you get what you incent. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you're incensing, and this is I think one of the challenges, and I actually see a lot of sales organizations do this pretty well, where they do incense this kind of. Um, growth mindset, obviously, and there's there's spot awards and President's Club and just yeah. all kinds of way where right. you you recognize the top performers within that, and everybody is quote unquote competing to get within that that recognition circle. But you know, and, and I think there's some things that that most sales organizations it works for where they're not competing in a way that if I if I get that win, if I get that sale, it doesn't take away from your opportunity to get a sale. Right, it's just that we're competing. That's a healthy competition environment, yeah, right? Where we all have our own territories and our own customers, and we can all go after it, and we can get it. We can we can compare and you know urge one another along, egg one another along right. to get up there. That's a great setup. Right. I think that what's challenging is that in a lot of business contexts, you don't have the same kind of everybody has their own playgrounds, their own territory, their own area that they can go be successful in at, without a cost to others. Because in reality, in businesses, we do like to make these choices where if I spend $100 on a new manufacturing line, I'm not spending a new $100 on a new software system. I'm not spending $100 on a new marketing campaign. Right. Usually the costs are more than $100. <laughs> yeah. so you get the point. So we really do have to make these collective decisions. And so it becomes more difficult to navigate yeah. healthy tension. This is where um, prioritization becomes a kind of a dirty word. Yeah. Right? Because it, it, it becomes who, it's like who wins and who loses, right? So there's this trade-off, say it's a million dollars or $10 million, $100 million. Like we have to split this up somehow, right? And there is a bit of a measuring that we get to do where it's like, Hey, I got 12 million, but Ken got 25 million. Like clearly what he's doing seems more important to the company than what I'm doing. Now, that's an interesting interpretation, right? Cuz maybe it is. Like literally it is. But then if I interpret it as Ken is more important to the company than I am, right? That's where the insecurity That's where it comes. becomes again, you're right, and that's where I think insecurity can creep in and and you know, I think uh, the personal ego can creep in, you know, into influencing. And I talked last time about like objectives versus and, and outcomes, right, is the core to culture shaping. Yeah. What are our outcomes we're trying to get and how do we value and prioritize that? And this is where I, I said, you know, we we get what we incense. And actually I'll tell a story as a one as I joined my current organization, we had a it was great. They we there was already a program for recognizing individuals on a quarterly basis, we call it the CIO awards, and then we had several categories for these awards. And I loved it, because I'm like, that's great. We want to be able, we want to promote and celebrate victories. We want to celebrate individuals. Mm. Anybody was um, uh, anybody was eligible to be nominated for this, and we had a CIO award for innovation, and a CIO award for overall excellence, mm. and a CIO award for, at the time it was called, uh, um, oh, Diving Catch. Nice. The Diving Catch yeah. Award. And we, this is a good one because we've all had this at any organization. IT certainly has an operational component and, you know, Murphy's Law being what it is. Stuff mm. breaks and people dive in and they save the day. Hey, we want to celebrate that. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, right? 
right? Because no. what does that create? Speaking a, of culture, what does that create? It creates a hero culture and a firefighting yes. culture. Yes. And like, oh my God, I get to be the hero at the moment. And don't get me wrong. I love those moments. And we do have heroic moments. But I really want to celebrate avoiding those moments. Right. And so this Wait, was, can you say why? Yeah. So I want to celebrate avoiding. And this is an interesting for any of us involved in... Well, I, honestly, I think this spans... Function. I think this is, I was going to say anybody involved in kind of an operational function, like nobody calls us up and congratulates us on the phones working today or the internet working. Right. They, they call us up when there's a problem. Right. And so if you fix the problem, you feel like the hero. But if you avoid the problem, you don't necessarily get any thanks. Yes. That's an interesting dynamic. You know, can I add something to this? Yeah. The, this is... Um... When I was when I was younger and I was running a theater program, mm. uh, I ran the tech department, and it's not the same, right, as running mm. a full you know IT organization. But one of the things that's interesting about a play is, uh, and I would say this, I would pull the tech team together, I would pull the the theater tech pe- people, and I would say, listen, um, no one's going to applaud you tonight. Mm. Like that's not what this is about. Like this is their actors, they're on stage, the musicians, whatever. Like what what I want you to get satisfaction out of is basically being invisible. Like you're making everybody else here look great. And that's a really important job. And and what I want you to understand is that we're not doing a good job if everybody knows what we're around. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you create a cult, try to create a culture. And, and I did everything I could to value them, to let them know what a great job. I would list detailed like what they did that was good that yeah. night. But what was clear was everybody was trying to uh, make it so that they were thinking ahead so that they didn't have to do things in the moment. So they didn't have to like run on stage and fix something or whatever. Yeah. And that is like... You know that is a very hard thing, ego-wise. You yeah. have to sub. You have to put the ego aside, and be able to say like, what matters to me is the overall program, the overall show, right? The overall thing, and how am I contributing to that? And am I being recognized internally? Yeah. For that. So then, go ahead. So the diving no. catch, diving catch was a problem because it was a problem. I mean, it was a celebration of a real victory, but it wasn't creating the right incentives, and so we we. We said, well, what is it that we want to celebrate? What is it that we want to promote and measure and acknowledge? And we shifted it to the Collaboration Award. Now, collaborations, it's an interesting one to measure. Yeah, right. But this is actually, I'm going to take it back to our, our, our first, kind of our initial premise for this episode, which is rivals, not enemies. Because collaboration is about building bridges. Mm-hmm. And it's about building bridges with folks you either don't normally work with, that you need, that may not know that they need you, that... Uh, may not know that you need them, right? That could be in healthy, quote-unquote, competition Mm -hmm. for energy. And we said the people that are really good at overcoming or stepping aside from their own ego, their own, you know, kind of personal team, their own small team, and thinking big team, that's what we want to promote. Yeah. Is how do we create this connection with other Teams that honestly have other priorities or have complementary priorities or even conflicting priorities, but we need to, to advance and get that done. So we actually started promoting that as one of the key 
most important awards. It's actually my favorite award to give out, is yeah. the collaboration award, because it really is about creating connection and, uh, and alignment across teams. I love, okay, so I love the concept of a collaboration award. I love linking collaboration to competition because it's unusual, right? It's something mm. that we don't usually think of. Let's just take a pause here and just identify that there's a difference between collaboration and cooperation. Yes. There's no competition and cooperation. Right. Cooperation is just get in line, right? Just do the thing like I told you to do it. Right. And we all like are sort of working together and trying to figure out how to make everything happen the way that it's supposed to happen. Whereas collaboration, in my mind, is inherently generative. It is like it is creative in nature. We don't really know exactly how it's going to come out. We just know we can't do it without each other. Oh, thank you for making that distinction. I think that's really, really important and often overlooked. Yeah. Is because yeah. we all say we're going to cooperate, right? Because we're all aligned on this, you know, et cetera. But I think the distinction that collaboration is a generative process. And what do we mean by that? This is the, to me, this is, I used this example, this metaphor in the last season where I said, you know, our, our team operates like a jazz band. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's still my metaphor. I still love that metaphor. But I think of it, uh, you know, in those terms where you have people with expertise across. And, and the jazz band metaphor, those that didn't listen, you know, this is really, you have people with expertise in their in, independent instrument. And you have somebody who has set the overall direction. But at any moment, any musician, any player, any part of that group could be in the lead. Yeah. And setting the melody. Because they have their individual expertise. Yeah. And what it means is that the rest of us in that moment have to listen really hard to understand how to con- to support them mm. and know when it's our time to lead. There's a, there's a moment there in – and they talk about – it's funny. They talk about this in La La Land. Well, oh, like, yeah. There's a moment where he um, – Ryan Gosling's character talks about how you know, the horn takes over – but in order, it, there's like this competition. The horn took over, but in order for the horn to took over, the pianist had to like had to give up yeah. the space. It, but it doesn't mean that the piano isn't trying to take over again when there's another opening. It's like this. Um, that's where I see that like it's not everyone knows what when to step in. Everybody is like being really polite. They're not being very polite. Right. Right. But right. they're being very. Uh, collaborative in the sense that they're not holding, they're not getting stuck and being like, no, no, this is my time. This is one of the things that I think is one of the, um, maybe maybe we just don't say it enough, but if you've been in any leadership team, um, you'll know this. I mean, the C-suite in any organization is usually full of some pretty big egos. Hmm. Oh, really? That's <laughs> yeah. surprising. Now, you know, it's, it really is like the room you walk into. It's some pretty big egos. I mean, they're all there for the same purpose, you know, in a healthy team. They're yeah. all there for the same purpose, for the same outcome. It takes it takes a big ego to want to have chief in front of your name. Yeah. Like it's like, you know, chief whatever. It's like it, it you have to be willing. Right? And, and I've known it, most, of, most of the people that I've known and worked with that have had chief in front of their title – have actually been wonderful people. Totally. Down right. to earth. They pull their pants on one leg at a time. Right. There's nothing special. You know, they got there through hard work and good luck and, and you know, some great experience and they have a lot to share. But let's be honest. Yeah. There's some pretty big egos in that room too because yeah. they're pretty confident in their experience and their education and their, you know, 
their perspective uh-huh. and um, their point of view. And so there's always this kind of, you go around the room and you ask, you know, 10 people in the C-suite for opinions on how to solve a problem, and you're going to get at least 10 answers, Yeah. right? Right. Often they're similar, but there's a little bit of that pianist and trumpet player of, I, I hear what you did. Oh, boy, that's good. Now I want you to hear what I yeah. I got to say on this. Right. And, you know, again, I think this is the the, the rivals, not enemies. Like, we, we might have, in fact, you and I might have different opinions on how to solve this problem. We have... And they could be wildly different. I could, because I'm a technologist, for example, I want to solve this problem through software. Absolutely. I was and, just thinking I was just thinking this, right? Yeah. I was just thinking the go ahead. And you might say, no, this is actually a people or a process issue right. and I want to go create a policy. Yeah. Right, whatever. Right. 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 And honestly, both could be right. And the question is, okay, within the context, both could solve the problem. Yeah. So within the context, it's okay, well, which one is going to get us there with the least cost, the most efficiency, the most efficacy? Uh, and we could actually sit down and have a conversation about that and say, you know, how are we going to try to do this? Yeah. And is our ego, the problem gets to, if I tie my ego up in solving it my way, it's going to be really difficult for me to hear you and think about an alternative. Yes. So there's a lot of stuff going on there when you say ego, and I want to I want to touch on that stuff. But before I do that, let's talk about this competition thing because yeah. this is interesting. So let's say let's say there's a a revenue issue with your organization with what within an organization, and we you know sometimes you want to solve sometimes you want to solve it by um, dealing with the profit profitability like you can solve it by from finance lens you can mm. be like we're going to solve this by like restricting and cutting back and 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 saving money that's mm. how we're going to say we're going to become more profitable so we don't actually have to grow the revenue we feel like the market has sort of hit a ceiling we we don't want to put pressure we don't want to hire more people we can't take that risk it's too much risk we're going to shrink the expenses and we're going to increase our profitability that is one solution. Yeah. But if you're a marketing person, if you're if you're a marketing strategist, no, you don't think that's a good solution. You want to grow. You want to like, no, I think there's more market out there. I think we need to tap. If you're a uh, operations person, maybe you're thinking like we can get more efficient. We can like, we can we can just save on all the efficiency. If you're a technologist, you might say like we're going to do this through software and we're going to do this by like creating new products. Or maybe it's a product person, right? We're going to create new products and do it that way. All of those answers could be right, and someone's going to win. <laughs> right. Right? Because if nobody wins, then everybody loses, right? So, so we have someone has to win. And the question is, whoever wins, does everybody else get behind them? Yeah, I think, I think in, in – I mean, certainly, you know, there's an answer that says we, we want to do all of the above because all of those are probably good ideas. Uh, but I have a dear friend who she says – we can do anything. We can't do everything. Right. And so you have to make some choices. And I think the, the healthy organizations are the ones that I've seen, certainly the ones I want to be a part of, are the ones where we can be in disagreement in the discussion. But when we make a decision, we execute it on it in support of one another. Like we, we execute right. that on that in support. In order for that to happen, I find for the organizations that I talk to, I find that it's very hard 
to get behind each other. It's very hard to execute on that, whatever the plan is, if you if you haven't agreed on what a good outcome is, mm. right? So, you know, uh, an organization that has always sort of had their focus as growth, like it's grow, 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 that then f- wants to flip to profitability and wants to like figure out how do we create more profitability, that organization is going to struggle if they don't explicitly state over and over again, this is a change. Yeah. The, this outcome is different. You, We were talking this way, and now we're talking this other way. Yeah, um, boy, and so many, especially startups, I think have this problem. Right. Where they're going through, I mean, not just startups, lots of organizations that shift from this one to another. You know, what's our true north? Our true north is growth, 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 growth. Now our true north is profitability because we have new stakeholders. We're at a new phase of our right. whatever uh, company maturity. And I think if you're not, to your point, clear on the message as to why, why right. are we outcome? changing? What does win? Outcome? What's winning mean? Winning just changed. And so, and I think in these organizations where, again, when you have leaders from different functions that feel in competition, they're competing for a different prize now. And if you yeah. don't have that healthy kind of alignment, you know, where you're talking about what prize are we competing for, yeah, then it gets it gets it gets ugly. It gets toxic. There's gets, a there's there's a um, interesting story in the movies about this. So um, two two great movies that that are really celebrated. One is Casablanca, and the mm. other one is The Godfather. And the story about Casablanca, which is you know really held up as like a uh, a really great storytelling, you know, great characters, but everybody on that set apparently hated each other. They like just didn't like working together, and and you sense it when you watch it. You sense there's a tension there, and it kind of works for the movie. For that movie, right? It kind of works, but there's this sense of like you know, uh, they're sort of in competition with each other, and it created a tension across the the group. In The Godfather, um, you know what Co- Coppola did was he created all those guys, not. Not Al Pacino's character, oddly enough. Al Pacino's character was sort of set aside. But all those guys in The Godfather, they were all like kind of crammed together. They, they, were, they created a kind of uh, f- a collaborative group where they were all competing for the, the, the camera, but they were doing it in a very fun way. So he created this like lively atmosphere, almost like a family. Like they actually would have family dinners. They'd sit down together and they'd eat together. And that kind of like clarity about like I want us to be this like close-knit competitive group where we everybody knows that they are loved Mm. everyone knows that they matter Mm. right when you do that you create a different work of art than Casablanca you create you know and and by the way they're both good movies right so you just got to figure out like what is it that we're trying to create here and what is the ultimate goal and what do I think is the best way to create that team I think you just said something really really powerful about and he, the example with the godfather of you know that he created he, he deliberately created a culture right mm-hmm. talk about culture he translated this to the business context he created a culture where all of the main players knew that they were valued and loved yeah and so when they had airtime when they had screen time right that's great they got they got their moment and they got to shine they got to do their thing and then but even when they weren't speaking you know, they were they were in the ensemble, whatever. They were in. They were interacting. You can see when you watch the movie, they're like interacting with. They're paying attention to each they're other. They're paying attention because they all feel loved. They all feel valued. They all yeah. feel seen. 
Yeah. And they know when it's their turn, they're yeah. going to have their time. Now, I've seen a lot of organizations that, um, you know, that are run, and I've seen organizations where the center of gravity is finance and operations, yeah. or the center of gravity is developments or this, in R&D, or the center of gravity is commercial and marketing, or the center of gravity is sales, whatever. So that's natural. Every organization, by the way, has this. I think this is a very universal thing yeah, that right. any organization kind of has their own um, center of gravity. So you work in, you work in pharma, it's R&D and developments and clinical trials and getting out to market and that kind of thing. You work in, you know, in fast-moving consumer goods, it's going to be operations and supply chain. It's right. going to be, so that's totally natural. Right. What gets unhealthy is within those organizations, if the other parts of the organization don't feel seen and loved. Yes, yes. Then they start acting like bad children. Then they start acting like, and actually it's funny you said it because I was thinking of this as like, there is a, a familial kind of element. Yeah. Like if the, if the mom or the dad. Yeah, you ignore the kid and the kid Ignores starts, everybody yeah. except the one, then yeah. the others act, act up. Yeah, act up. And you create this unhealthy rivalry and tension. And so this is where I think as leaders, this is, this is you know, for our listeners, for, for us as leaders, I think this is the key, is the challenge. And actually, I had this conversation not too long ago where I was talking about, and I used this word deliberately, I was talking about the affection I feel for everyone on my team. Mm. Mm. And, you know, I was talking about it, I, was, I don't know, I can't remember the context, but I was talking about it, I was like, no, I have a real affection for everybody on my team, and I love, like, when we get together and we have these conversations, we have these family debtors, basically. Yeah. And, uh, but I had this colleague, like a, a counterpart in a different part of the organization, and I could tell that he, he actually had a, like a physical, like drew back when I used the word affection. Mm, I was just thinking that the vulnerability of that word is he, interesting. It was like, so, and I, I saw, I saw the body language. And I was like, well, I, I, hang on, what, what did I say? And he said, no, well, if you, if you really feel affection, it's going to impact your thinking. Yeah. And I said, it's absolutely going to impact my thinking. Yeah. My yeah. my affection for my team translates into the trust and the way that we talk to each other and the way that we feel safe with each other. I, and I flipped it around. I said, okay, let me ask you this question. Have you ever worked for a boss or with a colleague, with a rival, that you felt didn't care about your success? Oh, God. Didn't yeah. have a vested interest in your success? Yeah. How'd that make you feel? Yeah. And I mean, the answer is obviously, go, go, yeah, of course, we've all had those experiences and it doesn't feel good. I said, right. So how much more willingness to meet me where I need to be met do you think there is if the person I'm working with, colleague, teammate, you know, somebody I'm leading, feels that I have a genuine interest? That doesn't mean that we don't have hard conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is actually, because I was just thinking, one of the confusing things to the audience, if you're listening to this and you're wondering what we mean by affection... I think we have to like we have to sort of articulate a little bit more about that because we we sometimes you know we misinterpret concepts about love, affection, caring. We we it comes it becomes kind of like what I would call like hallmarky like it sort of is this overly simplistic syrupy kind of concept. No, of you know I have a special place in my heart for Hallmark Christmas movies yes. all year round. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> so the the affection does not mean. This like placating and uh, you know everything you do is great and you never make any mistakes and I never get, you know love love itself is a tough like it is a 
it is its own uh, collaborative melee. Like yeah. you can't yeah. love someone and just say whatever you do is great. That's not love. <laughs> that's that's, not... that's actually codependency. That's like that's a different kind of a thing. Yeah. Love is like very much a. Uh, meeting each other as equals, respecting each other, but also demanding certain things, like demanding, like you know, that you see me and you hear me, and that we we all work together, like it, we all find a way to work together. Yeah. And that that piece about seeing, just to come back to the Godfather piece, you know, they saw each other, they loved each other, they cared for each other. They also like were brutal to each other. They like made fun of each other all the time. They like played practical jokes on each other. It was like brutal. Like, you know, the, the kinds of stuff that, that created some of that um, energy and some of that uh, closeness. Um, anyway, so there's yeah, a- No, I think if I didn't feel a genuine affection and love for the people I work with, you know, would I really demand that you do your best every day? Right. Would you give them feedback? Would I- yeah, would you've, I share with them my thoughts? You've given some honesty? tough feedback over the years, and like you've been really clear with people, and I think that that is, that's out of love. Yeah, that's out of affection. I, it was, it, it was interesting conversation though when, and I and I, I said that in the context there was I was talking about the team that I've hired, my leadership team, my you know the people I lead, but I feel the same way about my other colleagues, my rivals, right. my those those people around the table, my family around the table, that. We're working towards the same goal, the same outcome, yeah. but we have different approaches to, you know, if I don't really feel that genuine investment in their success and in, in our collective success, yeah, then I think you're getting yourself into this unhealthy place where it's like, well, you're going to sink or swim. There's a there's a thing not, in, not not a big deal to me. Right. There's a thing in here. This comes back to the jazz musicians in the ensemble. Is there's a thing in here where it's really about status in a way and the willingness to uh, change your status position with mm. these other people you're in competition with. Because, you know, you're in competition with them in general, like your rivals with them, maybe for resources or maybe to use your tools to solve a problem. But at the end of the day, you all want the same thing. Yeah. That's a very important thing. You all yeah. want the same thing. And this... Um, this, my favorite improv teacher, Keith Johnstone, talked about uh, this concept of improvisation and status. And he said, you know, uh, he's like, Robin Williams, he's a brilliant, he's a brilliant, he was a brilliant man. He was a brilliant uh, com comedian, terrible improviser. And he said, he's, he uh, put him on stage by himself, he's hilarious. Put him with a group of people, he can't work with them <laughs> because he has to be top dog. He cannot give up his status. He doesn't work with other people. Everyone just ends up sitting around watching him be funny. <laughs> and, and he was like, and he's like, and, that, and the audience doesn't know the difference right. really, really, but like everyone who knows anything about improvising knows that that's not actually collaboration. Right. Right? That's not and generative. That's not generative. So you have to be willing to lower your status. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. Right? Like give up, give up your position. The trumpet player has to give up yeah, his position. Yeah, back to the music metaphor here and and back to the rivalry is like you know sometimes and I, and I talked about I think the very first episode that you and I recorded together if it's not personal I told a story a very very personal story and I actually I, I didn't share this with you but I actually when we launched the podcast 
I called up the person that I told the story about. I didn't name names, but I called up the person because I was like, you're going to know it's you. And because it was about my nemesis, right? Yeah, my, yeah, my work yeah. nemesis. And but I told I, I told the story about like I had to actually understand my rival. Right. And my work rival. So this is internal rivalry. Right. right, right. You know, and I had to understand. I had to actually set myself aside and, and to your point, change my own status to say, look, we're both actually working for the same outcome. But we're working yeah. at cross purposes. Yeah. And one of us has got to, or both of us, have to sit down together and actually understand. Let's make sure we actually share the same language about the outcome we're working towards. Yeah. And that we know how to position each other for success. And I'm, look, I'm here to make you successful. And, and I know you're going to help me when I need help. And let's just figure out how to ask that question. Yeah. If we didn't start from this place of, I'm going to use the word again, from affection. Right. From a willingness to say, I actually care about your success and and, rese- and respect, right? And respect. So, so we should put those two together, right? Yeah. Affection and respect. Yeah, and I said, I actually care about your success. I, let's, I, I want yeah. you to know that I care about your success. Now let's have a conversation. And, and you, and you did that. And this is maybe an important thing for us all to. It's a little complicated. You did that from a place of self-respect too. So you didn't go to him and say, listen. You know, I can't do anything without your help. Like you, you're the only one. Like you're the top dog. Here. No, like, it wasn't. No, it was. <laughs> it was actually from starting from a place where I felt incomplete about my ability to be successful. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so right. that I had to say, look, I think I think we're I think we don't mean to be rivals right now, but I think it's coming across that way. This unhealthy. And oh, don't get me wrong. Oh, we still you know back to your Godfather example. We make fun of each other all the time. Right. We play jokes on each other all the time. Right. We poke at each other. Like all of that goes with it. That and right. that and that is about like that love and affection, that healthy respect, like the ability to tease, the ability to kind of play those those games. You think about that. Like take like the Miles Davis quintet, right? Mm-hmm. Like the this yeah, Lee Morgan, Herbie Hancock, Max Ro- Max Roach, John Coltrane, like in the quartet, the um, you know, those guys like they were all big egos. They were all unbelievably talented. Each one went on to yeah. like have an incredible indiv- individual career, like changing the the world of jazz. But they all worked together because they all like they were all willing to be competitive with each other in this generative way, in this collaborative. And, way. and I think, and this is a and challenge. Miles Davis. And Miles Davis. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that this is a, um, and this is some coaching I've I've given let's say rising, you know, leaders um, who have struggled when they've seen other people be promoted, for mm. example. It's mm. one of the examples that we talk about. And, and again, if you're in that mindset, if you're pursuing it, you're like, oh, why not me? Why aren't I getting recognized right now? Why aren't I, you know, what about me? What about me? Yeah. And, and, and creating this sense of rivalry. And the coaching I've offered is, you know, often people get promoted for a lot of reasons. I have a whole philosophy around this. Promotions are not rewards, number one. People are getting promoted because they're either performing at the next level or there's the scope change for the next level. It's not because you've been doing this for seven years. It's it's your time. There are organizations like that. I don't think that's, that's not a philosophy I subscribe to. Promotions are really about operating at the next level mm-hmm. and being asked more of, right? So that's one thing to ground yourself in for this. Two, I've said, look, if you genuinely can celebrate the other person in that moment, whether or not you feel maybe completely justified yeah. that you were you know, deserving 
of mm-hmm. a promotion. If you can truly celebrate, and, that, and again, I don't mean to like throw yourself on the fire or whatever, throw yourself on the sword, but if you can genuinely feel, you know, uh, happy yeah. for that other yeah. person, that other person is going to be your advocate. Yeah. There's a thing in here that goes full circle to where we started from, which is that you are asking that person to feel secure. Yes. If you, exactly. you you can't celebrate someone else's win if you don't feel secure. You have to feel secure. And by the way, security, this is actually like a much like this is I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, where do I find security? Do I find security externally? Do I find security in what other people think about me? Because I mean, I I'll admit, like that is a thing I have wanted. Like I've wanted external validation so that I can feel secure. But you know what? It never works. It never works. It never makes me feel secure. It always ends up making me feel insecure. But when I find the security internally, when I say like, you know, I am good at what I do. I am good enough at what I do. I, I am trying here. Like I am learning. Like when I, when I tell myself those things, all the things that Mr. Rogers told us to, to remember when we were kids, <laughs> like when I tell myself those things, I actually, I feel more grounded. I feel more secure. And it's easier for me. It's easier. Easier for me to feel happy for someone else's win. It's easier. And I actually think that what you just said is at the heart of what I really wanted to talk about in this 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 conversation about rivalry. Because I think that, yeah, and I'm not a qualified psychologist or psychiatrist, but I think the heart of an unhealthy rivalry is when I'm judging myself against that person's victories. Right. And a healthy rivalry is when I'm judging myself against my own right. progress. Right. And that can be in comparison. I can use benchmarks. I can, I, you know, but I can also be happy for the other person because their success really isn't about me. In fact, if we're part of the same organization, their success is my success. Yeah. Because we're achieving the same outcome. And it's so easy to say this. It's so easy to say it. Right, you know, but to set ourselves aside because hey, I, me too. I got a big ego. I have looked for external validation. I love the, you know, the applause or the right. the award or the promotion or you know all those things. So, but I think ultimately, I, I do find that for myself, for my organization, for my team, when we can genuinely separate or identify an unhealthy rivalry or unhealthy competition from a healthy uh, challenge to where we challenge each other and we tease one another and we bring each other along yes. and we yes. help each other be better. Oh my goodness. The feeling in the room. I mean, how many of us, how many of you listening have walked into a meeting and you can, you know, there's a rivalry going on, you know, there's a competition, right? And you know, the difference between the unhealthy and the healthy, you know, whether it's toxic or not, you know, the toxic versus the not. And I think, I think one of the things you said, Ken, that I, I want to just come back to is this idea of like, okay, so when I, when I'm looking at someone else and I am seeing my own deficiencies, mm-hmm. like I'm seeing, like if, if I had what that guy had, or if I, if that person lost, I would win, right? How I look at another person is the way I'm just thinking about this. How I look at another person tells me a lot about how I look at myself. Yeah. If I look at you, and I think I'm tearing you apart or I'm building you up. Either way, I'm talking, I'm talking about something about me. Yeah. And I'll tell you that at the, all the most stressful points in my career 
over now a few decades. But when I think back and I look at all the most unhappy, I'm yeah. not going to say unsuccessful, but unhappy moments in my career, really this was at the root. Yeah. This, I felt less than somebody else in comparison to somebody. I was putting myself in a place where I felt like I was in competition. I had this rivalry, right. I had this nemesis, I had this thing. And it was always, that was always the most stressful. And when I could, and I got, I've gotten better at this over time, sometimes I still have to check myself, but when I could just take a step back and go, oh, no, wait. Number one, we're all here for the same reason. Right. So collective success is more important than individual success as an organization, right, for all of us. Number two, my job is to help other people be successful. We talked right. about what's my job, right. right? And I said, that's as a leader, yeah. my job is to help other people be successful either within my organization or, you know, in my colleagues or my customers is to help right. them be successful. And if I can do that either directly or indirectly, that's a victory. And number three, what is the thing that's really making me feel like I'm, I'm quote unquote losing here? Mm. And to your point, it's usually something actually yeah, inside, right. not really outside. Right. You know, I feel like I'm competing for mommy's attention, daddy's attention. Right. Am I... Like, and if that's, you know, and if, the, if you're in that situation, then you need, I think, having at least a self-conversation, if not, as I did with my colleague, you know, as I shared before, like a direct conversation. Like, I feel like this is not what we want, right? Mm -hmm. We both want this thing. And I, I can, I, honestly, every single moment of my career I can attribute to, like, my less than satisfaction, this was somewhere in the mix. So would you say, Ken, to be a subversive leader, people should go figure out who their rivals are within the organization? I Yeah, I think I think you should know who your rivals are mm. and why they're your rivals. And is it a healthy rivalry yeah. or an unhealthy? And if you think it's an unhealthy rivalry, I think you need to figure out how to switch that equation. Yeah, so I would say, I mean, we're very oftentimes good at Figuring out how the other person is being toxic, but <laughs> like you should. But like, it. let's 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 start just by like being curious about how maybe you're participating in that. Well, and here's the subversive part because you know we can all control our own actions, perspectives, whatever. We can't control the other person, and I'm not saying they're like you know because it could have gone the other way. By the way, that story go back episode one. It's not personal. I told the story of, you know, meeting my colleague and going, like, I don't think this is working. You know, what do you think? He could have said, no, it's great. Yeah. He could have said, I like it exactly like it is. He could have said, no, I, I don't see any problem here. And he could have seen me as competition, right. not support. The challenge for me is even in that moment, and I've certainly, I've had those. Like, I've had those where I'm like, eh, I'm going to go the extra mile. I still have to flip the game. Yeah, that's the subversive part. Is you still yeah. have to figure out how to, in light of that, still I don't know, judo your way through into <laughs> body movement. Body movement uh, is you got to show others what it could be like. Mm. What could it be like if we were working towards the same goal? What could it be like if I gave up something so that you could get the thing you needed? Yeah. What could that be like? And yeah. then oh wow, that was that was pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah. Next time around, it's going to be a little bit easier. To work together. Yeah. And, and that's where the zero sum piece has to go. Hey, you have to put that aside because if we're, if we're t taking scores and figuring out at the end of every day, like who had more you know, points than the other person had, that's, that's an awful place to be because you're always going to, you're always going to 
feel insecure mm. at the end of the day. Even if you are technically winning on points, you're just going to feel like, wow, tomorrow it's like he could, you know, <laughs> like it's just, it's just a, it, it, the zero sum piece is, it, it's just never going to work for a collaborative rivalry. It's just never going to work. You have to figure, I mean, you can do that with a, uh, competitors in the market and yeah. you could be like we took more market share than they did and great right like all day but like if you're the example you gave you would never have been vulnerable with him you would never have shown up to him and say like hey i feel like this isn't working which is by the way vulnerable right mm-hmm. to say that and he would never have ha- have the willingness to be vulnerable with you to say like hey this is what's going on for me if you guys were in a zero sum yeah, and it, and it took. I mean, that was a moment where, and it was a it was a learning moment for me, as I've shared, where I had to start. I had to say it first. Yeah. And create the space for it, and the opportunity for it, with my rival, quote unquote rival, and you know we have a great working relationship now. And I do think mm-hmm. I do think you're you're right. There are different contexts. Like if I'm working with you know there's I mean there's different ways to view because I'm working in the competitive market, whatever. But for any of us. The context we're talking about is within your organization, and I don't mean your team, I mean your organization. If you work for a for-profit, publicly traded company, everybody there has one objective, and it's the measure is the stock price, the value, the re- revenue of the company. Yeah. If you're at a nonprofit, and I've worked in nonprofits as well, you're, you're all there for the same purpose and mission. You have different functions and roles. Yeah. That doesn't make you rivals. That means that you have you know, yeah. you, you push each other to be better in your roles, but that can be healthy in how do you come together? How do you think about, you know, advocating for the, the best idea to achieve that objective? This is this has been a good conversation. I, you know, I've been thinking about just as you were talking, sort of reflecting on my own relationship to like I was like what who are my rivals mm. you know in in the you know we're being self-employed doing the kind of work that I do which is pretty solitary you know who's out there who who am I looking at and I what I was just reflecting on Ken was you know I don't I don't I recognize I don't do such a great job of looking out there and seeing people doing what I do and and feeling a healthy competition with them like I'm very much like either like what will come up for me and this is my own insecurity, but what will come up is like jealousy mm. or, or I'll like kind of tear them down. Mm-hmm. Like I'll be like, ah, that person is, they have nothing to say. And like, when I think about those two things, it's like it, this whole conversation kind of opens up the door to, to say like, oh, you know, what's that about? Right? Like, what's that about? What, what is the thing I'm scared about? Mm. Right? You know, what, what am I afraid of? If I see someone doing something and I, and there are a couple people out there, I see them on Instagram and TikTok and they're and they're just they're doing such a great job. Like they're just they're they're getting a message out, they're getting a message out consistently, they're doing it creatively and it's a good message. Like it's mm-hmm. just objectively like a great message to put out there. And I'm like uh <laughs> like they're doing such a great job, you know? And and how do I see that and be inspired by that? Exactly. That's what I was going to go cuz I was going to say the challenge for you for me in that situation is to be the tennis player that applauds that great play. Yeah. To be inspired by them yeah. to do better ourselves. Yeah. But there's a thing in here. Yeah. There's a thing in here about like, yeah, I want to be inspired by that. But like, I think it's important. Like, we have to start from the place of, don't we have to start from the place of just acknowledging like, oh, like, I do actually feel, I do feel kind of like, crappy about it well it's i mean yeah i look at you know and, and again i am a 
aspiring musician. So I look right. at like Ricky Skaggs plays a great mandolin. God, I wish I could play my, oh my God, my mandolin playing sucks compared to him. Right. Okay. Well, what can I do with that? Well, I, yes. can, like, I could either put the mandolin away and never play again. Right. I could, I don't know, look him up and throw my mandolin at him. <laughs> <laughs> or I could be like, oh, okay, I'm going to try better. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to try again tomorrow right. and take that inspiration. And, you know, that's all I could do. Right. Is, is I could take that rivalry. He doesn't know that I'm his rival. Right. He, he doesn't know I'm a mandolin player. <laughs> but, but, and I could try better. I could try and I could learn from that. Or I could bring my own thing to it. And I think that that's, that's kind of the... Um, yeah, I mean, you chose... Okay, so that's a great example of, like, to choose somebody like Ricky Skaggs and be like, you know, th- who you know that's his job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you're like, you can look at that and be like, I want to be able to play like that. And then there's an acknowledgement that, like, oh, this isn't actually my job. Like, I'm just doing this... Like I'm well, doing let this. me let me take a better example that's kind of more business related, and I love this conversation too. But you know, in the C-suite, I could look across the aisle, yes, and see our yes. chief counsel, yes, and she's you know got the stage, she's got the the time in the speaking agenda, yeah, and she's getting more of her points across. And yeah. I look at that and go like, oh, yeah, oh, she's awful, like oh, she's always hogging the spotlight, oh, like, and, or I could look at it and go. Why is she getting the time? And how do I understand the value that she's offering that I'm not breaking through? Okay. Oh, wow. She's talking about risk management. Yeah. That's the current mindset. I need to think about risk management because that's what the audience and my I colleagues I love need. that you do that. I love, Ken, that you do that. That's a great example, um, you know, to kind of, I think that's just a lot of like self-awareness to be like, first of all, just to notice, I'm, I'm seeing like someone else is winning Right, just yeah, to notice. She's getting so, more time. She's getting and by winning, yeah, just more time, more yeah. more airtime, more airtime, and like in that case. And, and, the, and to notice it, to notice the feeling that I have. Oh, I feel like jealous, or I wish that that were happening for me, or you know, I feel like why it feels a little unfair, or whatever the feeling is. Yeah. Right, notice the feeling, and then to do that turnaround. What is she doing? What is this person doing that I could learn from? Well, I think that's the, I think you said it earlier, which is staying curious in that yeah. moment. It's like just asking yourself, okay, why is that happening? Like, yeah. I love the word you said too, unfair. I hear that a lot, especially from, you know, early in careers. It's like, oh, it's unfair. Well, it's, why did that happen that way? Stay curious. What could you take from that? Yeah. In this case, she's speaking a, a, about a thing that's important to the organization right now. Oh, I could learn from that. And I could see if I have something to contribute in that space because they're not hearing the story I want them to hear yet. Yeah. They can't hear the story I want them to hear until I make sure they hear the story that they're in the moment of, right? So That's good. the key. So good. Ah, so, such a good one. I love talking about this because I really did want to come out of our culture discussion uh, in the last episode and talk about, you know, what we talked about healthy the, the and, and change and the interplay, but this, this, yeah. what could go, what's the unhealthy aspect of this? And, right. and what's this toxicity and rivalry and competition is, is so many organizations. I see this is one of the core dysfunctions in organizations that people really struggle with. They, they either right. like overdo this like sense of comp- inner competition, which they pit every, incentivize yeah. everybody against each other and it creates this toxic environment. That, that's one 
far spectrum place I see. And the other one is like they like really force cooperation and getting along. Yeah, all the and, time. The kumbaya, and the kumbaya. And the kumbaya, like, and it creates this weird like vanilla mediocrity where everybody's just like afraid to like. Upset but we you. have to love each other. I was yeah, like, no, like, yeah, but no, okay, but you could still have fun and. That's going to be the topic of our next conversation, which I'm really looking forward to is, and it's going to sound weird, I'm going to say this, but it's really about creating your fun as a leader. And this is a thing that I think in our, our, and we'll talk more about it, but in the pressure of delivery and the pressure of performance organizations, we actually underestimate the impact of creating your fun as individuals and organizations and as leaders along the way mm. while you're a part of a performance organization. So it's it's maybe one of my favorite topics we've ever talked about, talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I can't right. wait. Yeah, excellent. Me too. I look forward to it. All right. Thanks, Seth. Your thanks. book, Into the Wolf, is coming out. Yeah, it's coming out. Uh, it's, it's you can go to itsnotpersonal.net to find all the episodes. You can find links to your website, sethrigoletti.com, where I know you have information about your book, uh, a lot of other content and conversation to be had there. And where do, um, where do people find out about this this podcast? This podcast is available wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Apple, all yeah. the things um, that uh, all the places uh, where you can find. But it's not personal. Uh, has every episode and links to the content. Yeah, and please leave comments if you're willing to. We'd love to hear. We'd love to hear from you all and uh, comments and, and suggestions and ideas and just whatever you want to say. We'd love to hear it. We love your feedback. Thanks so much, Seth. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Ken.